1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Follow tonight as we read. I'm going to read verses 6 to 16. Verses 6 to 16. And we pray tonight that God will give us wisdom and understanding from his scriptures, beginning with verse 6. All together, watch as I pray. Listen as I read, please, tonight. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. While you're standing there, I want you, if you have a highlighter pen, I want you to circle a few things and words as we go through this tonight, part of our Bible study. Beginning verse 6, I'd like you to circle the word wisdom. And everything we're going to look at wisdom tonight, I want you to circle every place where you find the word wisdom, the wisdom of God. And I want you to notice in verse 6 the word perfect. I want you to circle that word or underline that. I want you to go down with me and highlight or underline all of verse 9. And then in verses 10 to 16, everywhere where you find the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, please circle or underline that. I'd like you to take a moment also while you're doing that and notice verse 12. And I want you to underline that last part of verse 12 where it says that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Then I want you to go down and underline um, verse 14, where it talks about the natural man. And then verse 15, would you underline four words in there? He that is spiritual. And then I want you to notice verse 16, the phrase, the mind of Christ. There are many titles I could give to this message and Bible study tonight. The title I'm going to give us comes out of verse 10. Would you notice that, please? But God hath 
revealed. Tonight we want to continue where we left off in verse 5, where it speaks about standing in the power of God. And we want to see this evening the revelation of God. How God reveals his message to you and me. But God hath revealed. Father, bless your word tonight. Already from what we've read, we've been encouraged. Would you build your people up? Would you give them understanding? Would you help me, Lord, to be a good feeding shepherd tonight as we take the oversight of the ministry of the word? God, we ask that our thoughts be focused on you. Remove all the distractions. Help us to have our feet on the ground. Help us to be properly dressed. Help us to have focus. Help us to hear the word of God. The Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Well, thank you for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we studied verse, going from uh, chapter 1, verse 26, to chapter 2, verse 5, on the importance of standing in the power of God. And we realized that Paul, as he identified four things that God uses, he said God uses the foolish to confound the wise, the weak to confound the mighty, the base and the despised to bring to naught the things that are, that Paul used all that to remind us that God doesn't use conventional things of this world to accomplish his work. And in doing so, Paul pointed to him. He pointed to the fact that he said that he was weak. Notice in chapter 2, verse 2, he said, verse 3, he said, I, he said he came with much weakness and in fear and in much trembling. As he went to Corinth, he didn't go thinking he was tough stuff. He didn't, go think, he didn't go there thinking that he was a great articulator of the word of God. He went in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And he speaks to us about the importance of God's power in our lives. That we need God's power and we, as we start the Christian life, when we're born again. It's God's power that brings about the salvation process. And uh, we, need, we need God's power for the start of salvation. We need God's power to sustain us in salvation. We need God's power all the way to the end of our salvation, realizing it is God's power that works on us. But Paul didn't stop there in talking about, about the power of God. Because in starting here in chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, and going to the end of verse, uh, chapter 3, Paul talks about several things. He moves us from the mindset of the Corinthians, which were impressed with eloquent speaking and the wisdom of men, and we're impressed with great articulators and helping them understand it's not the wisdom of men that builds our Christian lives. And it's not the wisdom of men that saves souls. And it's not the wisdom of men that builds churches. And it's not the wisdom of men that calls men to preach. But he wants us to understand it's the wisdom of God. He wants us to understand the process of, of the gospel, the giving of the gospel, and the revelation of the word of God, that God has a way in which he reveals his word to us. And he's going to show us tonight from verses 6 to 16 how he reveals himself to us. And as he does so, he also talks to us about three different kinds of men. He talks about the spiritual man. He talks about the natural man. And he talks about the carnal man. Now we're going to define all three, and we'll spend a little more time in the next message, Lord willing, about those three. The spiritual man, the natural man, and the carnal man. But what we're going to focus on tonight is the spiritual man a little bit here, and how God reveals himself to the spiritual man. Now this is important because for many new Christians, for many Christians who are 
kind of struggling and trying to understand the things of God, we want to understand this evening the tools that God has given to help you and I in the process of understanding his open revelation. You see, God's open revelation he's given to us is through the word of God. We've been given 66 books of the Bible. We've been given the books of the Old Testament and the books of the New Testament. And all of this, we have the direct divine revelation of God. We don't need to add any more to this. We don't need to take away anything from this. Everything we have in the canon of Scripture is revealed revelation from God. It's divine revelation from God. And in this, you might say, as he closes off verse 16, through the Word of God and his revelation, God has given us the mind of Christ. So Paul wants us to understand in chapter 2 here what God uses to accomplish the gospel and his revelation in us. He wants us to know how we stand in the power of God. He wants us to understand the mind of God. We're going to see this evening the work of God in his revelation. We're going to see how God has revealed. Now, I want you to see three things very simply tonight about this passage. I want you to see three things tonight. And we'll pull it all together as we get to the end. Number one, I want you to see the purpose of God in his revelation. To understand what the tools are, we must understand the purpose of God and his revelation. God has given us the gospel, which is what this is about. Paul talks about, I, 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 can't, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. But Paul is also not only, God has not only given us to the gospel, he's given us the entirety of the word of God. And so we see God's purpose in revelation. Now, I want you to notice in this passage, there's a twofold purpose. There's a twofold purpose. Number one, God has given us his word. The purpose of God is revelation is for our spiritual development. It's for our spiritual development. Would you notice verse 9, please? But as it is written. And Paul here is giving a quotation from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. You can look it up later. He's giving us a quotation from Isaiah 64, 4. And this is what he said. He's leading up and talking about God, how God has spoken to us, the wisdom of God. And he talked about this hidden wisdom in verse 7, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which I'll say a little bit more about. And he defines it in verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered to the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Notice that phrase here, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. God is concerned and interested in our spiritual development. God wants you and I to grow in the Lord. God doesn't want us to be spiritual babes. God wants us to become spiritual men. He wants us to be mature and perfect. Notice verse 6, he spews the word perfect. The word perfect doesn't mean perfect in the sense that you're sinless and perfect in the sense that there's no fault within you. What he's talking about there, it's a word that defines the, the, the extent of maturity. It, comes, it talks about reaching full maturity. God wants us to reach full maturity in the Christian faith. Peter says something about that. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, if you're there. He says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Let me stop there for a minute. Would you notice some things Peter says there in 2 Peter 1? God, through his power, 
has given us, has given us an enablement so that we can receive. Uh, he's given us this power that we can, uh, he's given to, that we can receive the things that pertain to life and godliness. God is concerned about our spiritual growth. He wants us to understand there, there are things about the spiritual, uh, about for our spiritual life that we have not attained to. And he wants us to realize there are things God wants us to attain. He, he wants to understand that the goal in the Christian life is to become more like Jesus Christ, to be conformed to his image. That's godliness. And so he says here, that he wants us to, through his power, to, to understand that we, he wants to have a more thorough knowledge of Jesus Christ because he's called us to glory and virtue. Same thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, the glory of each individual. He's called us to glory and virtue. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about the fact that the end result, the true perfection of every Christian, the attainment of complete maturity is when we get to heaven. When we attain glorification, when, when, we, when the glorification is we're just like the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've attained that full, fullness of him. We're not there yet. But he says, until we get there, we're to continue to grow in this matter of maturity there. Now notice verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. We'll stop there for a minute. He's given us this power, and he's given us his promises, that by these... You might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. When you got saved, God sanctified you and I. He set us apart. Peter defines it, we having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So in other words, when he saved us, he saved us out of the cravings and the hungers and the thirst and the desires for the things of this world. And in his place, God has given us a hunger and a thirst and a craving for the things of God. And so when we get saved, Peter put it this way, that we're to desire the sincere milk of the word of God as a newborn babe in Christ. We're to desire the word of God as a baby that is, requires regular routine, around-the-clock feedings. He wants us to have that craving and the desire. But God is saying here in 1 Peter chapter 1, that there are more things that we can accomplish. God wants us to realize that we have a spiritual development. He wants us to be partakers of the divine nature. He wants us, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 speaks about, that there are the things which God has prepared for them that love us. Now, I've been saved 48 years. And I'm thankful for the things I've learned. But I'm going to tell you right now, there are so many things I have not learned. There are, there are so many things I've not attained. There are so many things. I've preached thousands of messages. But I'm going to tell you, there's still a whole lot of Bible I still need to learn. And there's still a whole lot more of Jesus I need to realize here. And I want to understand tonight, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered to the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Here's what he's simply saying, brother and sister in Christ, there's still more. There's still more to tame. There's still more to get. There's still more Jesus you need. There's still more of the grace of God you need to grow in. There's still more spiritual growth that you need. There's still more God, of God's love you need to exercise. There's still more you need to learn about soul winning. There's still more of God's boldness you need to get. There's still more of the fullness of the Holy Spirit you need to learn about. There's still more that you need to learn about surrender. There's still more you need to learn about carrying your cross. There's still more you need to learn about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's still more exceeding grace and precious promises that you and I need to claim. There's still more work to be done. 
There's still more of his will on earth to be, to be accomplished here on earth as it is in heaven. There's still more room to grow. I'm just saying tonight, God has said in his word, there's still more. And brother and sister in Christ, I don't know about you, I'm not content where I'm at. I want more. I want more of his grace. I want more of his mercy. I want more of his forgiveness. I want more of his power. I want more of Jesus Christ, and I hope you feel the same. Charles Spurgeon tells a story about a man by the name of Roland Hill. And a very wealthy man gave Roland Hill an exorbitant sum of money. He said, Mr. Hill, there is a poor preacher on the other side of London, England, who's struggling. He's bivocational. He works a separate job just so he can put food on the table. I've heard about that man. And I'm giving you this sum of money because I don't want him to know who I am. I want to be seen as an anonymous donor. I want you to use this money to help that preacher. And Roland Hill got acquainted with that preacher. And he said, here, preacher, I want to give you some money to help you. And Roland Hill, what he thought he would do, instead of giving all that money one time to the preacher, he thought what he would do is he would space it out in intervals. And he'd give him a little bit a few days at a time. And every time as he gave him some money, there would be a note with it. He put it in a little bag. It would be inconspicuous. And a note was inside that said, more to follow. And it got to after several weeks, the preacher got, got excited because he got a bag that came with a note that said, more to follow. And all of a sudden, the preacher didn't have to keep working that job. And he was able to spend more time with his congregation and spend more time on his messages and working on things and winning souls to Christ. And it got very encouraging for him. Every time he got a bag that was filled with money, reminding him there's still more to follow. And I remind you tonight, God gives us more than money. And God gives us more than jewels. And God gives us more than gold. And God gives us more than silver. You know, God is giving us of himself. God is giving us of his word. God is giving us of his Holy Spirit. God is giving us of the gems and jewels of the word of God. God is giving us of his grace. And God is giving us of his patience. And God is giving us of his long suffering. And God is giving us of the fruit of the spirit. And God is giving us of his holiness. And God is giving us of his righteousness. I'm saying tonight, God, there's still more that God gives us. There's still more that God wants us to have. God is concerned about our spiritual development. The purpose behind what he's doing here, about giving us this wisdom, and his per the person of his Holy Spirit is that we might understand tonight there's still more to gain. The purpose in divine revelation, there's still more that God wants you to know. There's a second thing we see about, God, about the purpose in God's divine revelation. There's our spiritual development, but you go back to 1 Corinthians 2 and notice our spiritual discernment. In verse 14, he says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man is the unsaved man. He's not been regenerated. The Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of him. He's a child of darkness. He's a child of depravity. He's a child of the devil. He doesn't have the Spirit of God in him. And so he cannot receive the spiritual things of God as you and I would. He would not have the same appreciation. That's why you can come to church and three times a week and more often than that, be under the preaching of God's word and your unsaved family members are wondering, why are you going to church so much? And by the way, let me just park right here and say this. There's something spiritually wrong if you don't desire to be around God's word. There's something spiritually wrong if you're bored with God's word. The Bible says this, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb, 
but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And you know, when you're, when you're saved, you're truly saved, you want the Word of God. You want to be wrong. Now, I don't know how to describe this. All I just know is it's the embedding, the implantation of the Holy Spirit inside of you. But I still remember when I got saved, I didn't even know, I didn't know Matthew from Revelation. I didn't know Genesis to Malachi. I didn't know any of that. I just know when I started reading God's word, God put a hunger in my soul. And as, it, as, as he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, I, I, had, a de, I had a sincere desire for, for the word, milk of the word. I just know this, after 48 years, I still have a hunger for God's word. I still have a desire. I still have a thirst. Blessed are they that thirst and hunger after righteousness. God wants you and I to thirst and hunger after his word and to desire him. But listen, the natural man cannot receive the things of God. So he says in verse 14, for they are foolishness unto him. Your unsaved family members think, that's crazy. Why are you going to church three times a week? Why are you going to listen to that crazy Pastor Fong preach off the top of his lungs at you? Why do you want to hear about the Bible? What's the Bible going to do for you? To them, they think, the Bible is not going to give you a job. I will tell you right now, if you're in the Bible, God will take care of your need. They'll say, well, you're in the Bible. That's not going to get you a job. That's not going to get put food on your table. That's not going to meet your need. Listen, they don't understand. They're looking from the eye of the flesh when we look by the eye of faith because the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. They're not spiritually discerned. And so the Bible says they are foolish. And they, they, get, they kind of wonder, why, are you giving, why do you give to the offerings? They're not spiritually discerned. Uh, they're wondering, why do you pray? Uh, they're wondering, they're wondering, why do, why, do you, why do you witness and go so winning? The Bible says, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, the natural man can't receive the things as you and I. What he can receive is the fact that he's a sinner and the Spirit of God convicts him, reproves him, because the work of the Spirit is to reprove of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he reproves him and convicts him of his need for Christ. And the starting point is that he needs to get born again. Because regeneration is by the Spirit of God. And so if the regeneration is by the Spirit of God, we have to understand today, the beginning work of the Holy Spirit of God is helping to illuminate the mind of a sinner that he needs Jesus Christ. But once he's saved, once you're saved, then you want to start receiving the spiritual discernment. So let's go down a little bit. The spiritual man, on the other hand, verses 15 to 16, is able to judge or discern all things because he has the mind of Christ. Spiritual discernment is understanding the things of God. Spiritual discernment is understanding God's purposes. Spiritual discernment is Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Okay, tonight there are people moaning and complaining that they have to stay home and people moaning and complaining that there's shelter in place and there are people worried about COVID-19. I mean, there's all these fears and paranoias people have got and there's all these these annoyances they're dealing with. But for you and I, we see God's grand purpose in this. You see, Joseph, unlike the rest of Egypt, when he got to the end of Genesis chapter 50, his brothers said, oh, you're going to do something wrong because dad, daddy's dead here and you're going to do something else. He said, no, I'm not. He said, you meant it for evil, God, but God meant it for good. Do you understand? When you're spiritually discerned as a spiritual man, you realize that there's a silver lining. There's a golden compensation. There's something God wants to do through that that, that, that accomplishes his purpose in your life and mine. But we have to be spiritually discerning. Look what he says there. He that is spiritual judges all things. You know, you, when you're spiritual, 
The Spirit of God is living in you, and the fruit of the Spirit is being born. You're not spiritual because you're a Sunday school teacher. Get rid of that thought. You're not spiritual because you went to Bible college. Get rid of that thought. You're not spiritual because you go through the motions. Hey, the Pharisees thought all that the same. They went through all the motions. They weren't spiritual. In fact, most of them were not saved. You're spiritual when you're walking in the Spirit. You're dying to self. You're serving others, and you're not looking for yourself. You're elevating Jesus Christ in what you're doing. It's not about your, the wisdom of your words. It's not about the greatness of your intellect. not the greatness of your giving. It's about the greatness of your heart for God. He says, he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is a judge of no man. Why is he not judging any man? Because he's lining his life up with the word of God. That's a spiritual man. He lines himself up with the word of God. He lines himself up with exactly what Jesus is. And he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? You know, spiritual discernment is trying to know the mind of God. That's a lot of times when we, when we ask, we want to get counsel. You know what counsel is? Counsel is not asking for advice that gives consent to what you want to do. Counsel is getting the mind of the Lord. If you really want counsel, you want to dig deep into the heart of the spiritual advisor and draw it up as deep waters. Because you need to realize that maybe the answer is not what your flesh wants to hear, but you're willing to be in the will of God. Be spiritually discerning is having the mind of Christ. It's understanding what God wants you to do. Being spiritually discerning is, Lord, what is your will for my life? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but thine. Spiritual discerning is asking, well, what I, if I make this decision, will it make me holier or make me more sinful? Spiritual discernment is, will it give God the glory or will it give me the glory? Spiritual discernment is, will it make me successful and Jesus and Jesus less successful? I mean, spiritually discerning is getting the mind of the Lord on the matter there. I'm just saying tonight, we're growing in this. Stay in your Bible. Be in the preaching services. I, I realize it's a little tough right now. But don't, don't let live stream make you content or complacent. Let live stream be a tool that makes you hunger and pray that God would stay his hand on the plague and we get church back going again. Keep walking by faith. Hey, let's go forward as we try to get the mind of Christ for our church. I don't want, I don't want processes and I don't want programs and I don't want what God wants us to do held up because of coronavirus. We just have to decide we're going to be spiritually discerning and follow what God wants to do. I'm just saying tonight, God's purpose is revelation is for our spiritual development and for our spiritual discernment. Number two, we see God's revelation, God's purpose in his revelation. Notice number two, would you notice God's prudence or God's wisdom in his revelation? The wisdom of God is his mind. It's his message. It's his motive for our lives. The wisdom of God is his grand scheme and plan. What God has already decided. What God wants to see us fulfill. And as we look at this, notice in verse 6, Paul said, How be it, 
We speak wisdom among you that are perfect, who are living for that full maturity. Now, the wisdom he speaks of is kind of interesting. He's not talking about, because remember, he's been kind of beaten up on the wisdom of this world and human wisdom. And he shifts gears, and he's talking about the wisdom of God. Now, my prayer for you tonight, for you and me, is that we'd have a craving and desire for the wisdom of God. And we're going to say some things about that type, because we have to understand, what does Paul mean here? Howbeit we speak wisdom among, among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. What about God's wisdom? He said in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. It wasn't known in the Old Testament. It wasn't known to the patriarchs. It wasn't known to the prophets. But it's known to us. This mystery has been revealed. The mystery of the church. The mystery of Christ coming in the flesh. It's made known to us. It's no longer a mystery. It was a mystery before, but it's not a mystery now. What is this wisdom? What is this wisdom? This wisdom, notice in verse 10, is the deep things of God. So let's define God's prudence in his revelation. Number one, would you notice God's wisdom is holy? Verse 6, God's wisdom is not of this world. God's wisdom is, God's wisdom is, not, is not found in a textbook. God's wisdom is found in the holy book, amen? It's found in his word. God's wisdom is not found in the encyclopedia. God's wisdom is not found in Wikipedia. God's wisdom is not found in the New York Times. God's wisdom is not found in some set of metric models. God's wisdom is not found in the, in the institutes of higher learning. God's wisdom is not found at Oxford University or MIT University. God's wisdom is found in the mind of God, and we must get the mind of God by getting into the Word of God. Now, how do we know about that tonight? Well, because God's wisdom is holy. It's above all else. Solomon describes the wisdom of God as the knowledge of the holy. The wisdom of God is the fear of the Lord. The wisdom of God is wise counsel and good advice. The wisdom of God is a line he draws in the sand. The wisdom of God is the flashing signal telling us don't cross that, don't cross those tracks. The, the wisdom of God is the warning we must heed. The wisdom of God is good doctrine. The wisdom of God is length of days in her right hand and her left hand riches and honor. The wisdom of God is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. The wisdom of God is better than rubies and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared unto it. The wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. Right, the wisdom of God is calling. It's holy. Oh, to you, O oh man, I call. Hey, do you, are you getting God's wisdom? Are you asking for wisdom? James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and shall be given him. Hey, that's one of the requests of the Bible, that when we ask for wisdom, God will give us more than we ask for. God's wisdom is holy. God's wisdom is heavenly. Look at verse 7, wonderful verse. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Hey, beloved, God loves us, amen? God ordained this wisdom unto our glory. In Ephesians 1, he talks about that. He talks about to the praise 
of God's glory, and it's for our glory. This wisdom has our eternal destiny in mind. It originated with God before we were even born. This wisdom has God's will for our life. And I want you to fathom for a minute what he's saying there, verse 7. This wisdom of God, he ordained it before the world. Before he made the world, he spoke the world to existence. For our glory. Hey, do you understand something tonight? You and I were in the centermost of God's mind before he even made the heavens and the earth. He loves you and me more than he loves the, the heaven and earth. Amen? And you think about this. What did he ordain in this? He ordained the perfect plan of salvation. He knew we would make a bad choice. He knew we would sin. He knew we would fall. He knew we would failure. He knew we need a Savior. And he had the grand scheme of all that laid out there. I mean, which God ordained before this world was made to our glory. Do you understand something tonight? The wisdom of this world keeps it for itself. The wisdom of this world, we pay thousands and millions of dollars to get that wisdom. But the wisdom of God is freely given to us. And the wisdom of God is for our glory. What's he mean by our glory? It's for the ultimate spiritual maturity that God wants us to attain there. It is heavenly wisdom. Notice it's hidden wisdom, as he said in verse 8 and 14. I said it was heavenly wisdom. Then I just said it was hidden wisdom. Number one, God hid his wisdom from the princes of this world. It says here, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now listen, Sunday I'll be preaching from Isaiah 53. And for me, I can't speak for other preachers, but for me, I get spiritually and emotionally worked up as I pray over and study but Jesus Christ, who was the vicarious sacrifice for sins. He was the divine substitute for every sinner. And I want you to understand that when it says which God ordained before the world was made for our glory, the whole grand scheme was God coming to earth, and becoming a man, and dying for our sins. But Satan did not know all that. You see, Satan doesn't know all of God's plan. God, Satan can't read your mind. And Satan doesn't know the, the entirety of God's, of, God's, of God's wisdom. Because the Bible says in verse 8, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, the princes of this world are talking about spiritual wickedness. High place. He's talking about demonic authority. He's talking about those demonic entities that are, that are energized and controlled by Satan. Their goal when Jesus came to earth was to put him to death. They thought they defeated God's grand scheme. They thought when he breathed, Jesus breathed his last breath, they thought, okay, we killed God. We killed God's son. So what he wanted to accomplish didn't get done. What they didn't anticipate was that on the third day, praise God, the stone would be rolled away. And they didn't anticipate he'd come out of those old dirty bandages, those old rotten bandages. They didn't, they didn't understand that he'd come alive out of the grave. And they didn't understand that the angel would sit there on that rock and he'd say, he is not here for he's risen. They didn't understand the, the magnitude of the plan of salvation. Had they known it, they would not have orchestrated and energized those sinful men to crucify our Lord. It's hidden wisdom to the princes of this world. 
They can't know the things of God. Hey, you and I have the privilege of knowing about the mind of Christ more than the devil can ever know. But it's also hidden to the natural man. Look again what the verse says here in verse, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He just doesn't naturally, he's not inclined towards it. But beloved, that's why you and I have to work very diligently to get people to come to church. That's why we have to work very diligently to get people to come so they can hear the Word of God. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's hidden wisdom. It's healthy wisdom. Verse 9, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of men the things... The things which God has prepared, the more I spoke about earlier. Think about it for just a minute. If you and I would just slow down and sometimes get our foot off the accelerator and yield when we're supposed to yield and stop when we're supposed to stop, I want you to take with me for just a minute. God's wisdom equips the humble teachable, and meek child of God in such a way that in God's wisdom, with God's wisdom, he has more capability than the most educated man here on planet Earth. For instance, when we think about God's wisdom, what makes it healthy? Well, number one, God's wisdom gives us insight. God's wisdom gives us insight. We're able to see with the eye can't see, an ear with the ear can't hear, and we're able to get into our heart what the heart of man needs to receive. Gives us insight. Joseph had insight. Elijah had insight. Moses had insight. Paul had insight. Isaiah had insight. Peter had insight. And you and I can have insight by the wisdom of God. Hey, God's wisdom not only gives us insight. Hey, listen, God's wisdom gives us foresight. The prudent man foreseeth the evil, and he hides himself. Helps us to look ahead. How's the plan? How do you plan ahead of things? Well, because God gives us foresight. Hey, God's word gives us, God's wisdom gives us insight. God's wisdom gives us uh, uh, foresight, but God's wisdom gives us hindsight. The Bible tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll see this. All these things were written aforetime for our admonition. That's hindsight. I don't know about you. I don't want to make Moses' mistake, I don't want to make David's mistakes. I don't want to make Elijah's mistake. I don't want to make Peter's mistake. I don't want to make John Mark's mistake. These things are written for our, for our admonition. You see, it's healthy. God gives us his wisdom for spiritual discernment. God gives us his wisdom for spiritual growth. So tonight, we see number one, the purpose in his revelation. Number two, we see the prudence in his revelation. As we close tonight, would you notice number three, God gives us his person in his revelation. You know, to benefit from a book, that's a good thing. But know, to know the author of the book and to be filled with that author's mind is a lot better sometimes than just reading what he has to say. And we have the person of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. Because these Corinthian believers were at a place in life, they were trying to understand the things of God in their power, in their wisdom, and they're realizing as they were frustrated and they were not getting it because they were carnal. He's going to tell them later on in chapter 3 they're carnal. They'd backslid him. 
He's going to tell them the, the reason they got that way is because of the neglect of the person of the Holy Spirit in their life. Let me tell you tonight, when this service is over, even right now, in fact, you should just send a message right now. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, as we read verses, you know, I don't know, verse 10 to 16. He's the third person of the Trinity who works in our lives. Who, who is the one who takes the wisdom of God and does the spiritual development and gives us the spiritual discernment that we need. That's the difference between a Christian who is thriving and a Christian who's not thriving. It all is about the working of the Holy Spirit in life. So let me say some things here about the person that is involved with this revelation. He, the Bible says in verse 10, But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, the Holy Spirit makes possible for you and I to understand those deep things of God. He reveals them to us by His Spirit. He reveals this wisdom. He reveals us how to stand in the power of God. He reveals us the secret to God's success. Let me say some things tonight. We're done. Number one, I want you to consider He's inseparable. The Holy Spirit is inseparable. What do I mean by that? Well, First John 5, 7. 1 John 5, 7 is one of many verses that testifies to us of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't have a King James Version of the Bible, you're going to find that verse is missing, or it's footnoted, because the corrupt translations are going to tell you that, it, that, that you know, it's, it's not found in these translations. I'm going to tell you tonight, thank God for the King James Version of the Bible. The King James Version translation, the Textus Receptus, the received text, has verse 7 here. And it says, For there are three that bear record, notices in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now what do I mean by inseparable? The Holy Spirit is inseparable from the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is inseparable from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, they are co-eternal, and they are co-essential. Now, the Holy Spirit has a distinction in His ministry and how He operates in our life, but He's just as much God. And the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Look at Genesis 1-2. And the Holy Spirit breathed the Word of God into existence. And the Holy Spirit, if you would, raised, raised Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was present at the time of, the, of, the, of when Jesus started his ministry. The Holy Spirit was the one who overshadowed Mary and enabled her to conceive. The Bible says she conceived by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, if you would, is God. He's inseparable from the rest, from the Godhead. When a saved person is baptized, it's important. And baptism is acknowledgement that a person is being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're not baptized in the name of the Father only. We're not baptized in the name of the Son only. We're not baptized in the name of the Spirit only. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inseparable from the rest of the Godhead. Secondly, we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's so much I could say about that, but time doesn't permit. But notice verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. 
And we go down to verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Now watch this. The Spirit of God indwells every man. Verse 12 says, now we've received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit which is of God. Now, if you can, later on you have time, go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you immediately. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The seal is invisible. The seal represents you are God's purchased possession. The seal represents you've been bought with the price. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. It tells the devil, you, you and I belong to him. We are sealed. We belong to him. It's a spiritual authority. That seal represents the authority of God in our life. But the Bible also tells us this, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he's the earnest of our inheritance. We don't use the word earnest much in our English language like they did in days gone by. But the word earnest basically means the down payment. In other words, his indwelling to us is God's down payment, the guarantee that one day we'll be perfected, we'll have glorification. He indwells us. Hey, I don't know about you. What an awesome thought. The Spirit of God lives in me. And listen, we'll see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Your body is God's temple, God's sanctuary. I mean, your body is not more than just flesh. And your body is more than just a shell. It's a temple. It's a sanctuary. We'll see this in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. And listen, he lives inside. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He dwells us. You are the tabernacle of God. He lives inside of you. Man, I'll tell you tonight, you ought to be excited about the fact he dwells you. This is inseparable of the spirit. This is indwelling of the spirit. Notice the spirit is our instructor. Again, look at verses 12 and 13. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, when Jesus, in the upper room, spoke to his disciples, he told them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verses 17 and 24 Verse 17 and verse 24, John 14, he speaks of the Holy Spirit as being our comforter, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of us. He speaks of him as the spirit of truth, the one who will come to teach us all things. Then he's told us in John 16, verse 13 and 14, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you unto all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now I want you to fathom it for me for just a minute. Verse 13, he's the spirit of truth. Now whatever he speaks to us about, it's truth. How do you know God's speaking to you? Because he speaks truth. He doesn't speak to you based upon what you want to hear. He speaks to you about what we need to hear. He's the spirit of truth. And he will guide us. He guides us. He guides us into all truth. This, this, listen, that's the discernment, the mind of Christ. He, he doesn't speak himself, but whatsoever he hears, he shall actually speak, and he will show you things to come. And Jesus, he, he shall glorify me. Now, whatever the spirit speaks about, it's truthful. Whatever the Spirit speaks about, it's about the spiritual things of God, the deep things of God. And whatever the Spirit speaks about, listen, He speaks about those things which glorifies Jesus Christ. Tozer said this, No one can know truth except the one who obeys truth. You think you know truth. People memorize the Scripture by the yard, but that is not a guarantee of knowing the truth. Truth is not a text. Truth is in the text, 
but it takes the text plus the Holy Spirit to bring truth to a human soul. That's a great thought. And so we see the Spirit who is our instructor. Notice we see the revelation of God through the Spirit. The Spirit, as I said earlier, gives us insight. Look at verses 14 to 16. Through the Holy Spirit of God, we have spiritual discernment. You see, our prayer we should pray is, Open thou my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And as we pray that prayer, the Spirit of God removes the blinders, the floaters, the things impeding our vision to help us understand God's Word. Your greatest teacher of the Word of God is the Holy Spirit of God. That doesn't mean you get pompous and say, well, I know more than the preacher, or I know more than brother so-and-so. No, we all need to be under the ministry of the teaching of God's Word because God illuminates us to help us understand His Word. To understand his open revelation. I'm just saying tonight, we get insight by the Spirit of God. Notice verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God enables us to discern, to know the things of God. He gives us insight. Finally tonight, would you notice, how does the Holy Spirit work in us? Well, he's our instructor. He's inseparable from the Godhead. He, is, he, uh, he, uh, he indwells us. But notice as we close tonight, the infusion of the Holy Spirit of God. Now listen, I'm done. I wish I had more time on this, but we need, to, we need to close. The Holy Spirit, His ministry is to teach us, is to guide us into all truth, to help us understand the mind of God, to teach us to think things of God. But as He's teaching this, would you understand this? The Holy Spirit doesn't do all that to puff up our mind. That was the problem of the Corinthian church. They were puffed up in knowledge, but they were not filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why they had confusion, and they were in error, and they had heresies about the gifts of the Spirit. And they had to understand that what they needed from the indwelling of the Spirit was the infusion of the Spirit. What they needed was the filling of the Spirit of God. Now, Paul said in verse 5, we should stand in the power of God. But Paul also said, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And what the Spirit of God wants for our development, for our discernment, and also for our dynamic, is that we have God's power. And God's power is not going to come through just wisdom alone. And God's power is not going to come just because you're educated and just because you got a bachelor in Bible or master in Bible or doctorate in divinity, whatever it may be. It's not going to come from there. We must realize that the Spirit of God has, when we get, when we get, when we have, when we, we get saved, we get all of the Spirit of God. He indwells us. We have all the Spirit of God. But the filling of the Spirit is when He has all of you. The filling of the Spirit is when He has all of you. And He has all of you and I. When we die to self, we're emptied of self, and there's nothing left of us. And when we are intoxicated by the power of the Holy Spirit, and Paul used a metaphor that they clearly understood, a drunken man is controlled by the substance of alcohol. He's not in control of the alcohol. 
The alcohol is in control of him. And he's not himself. He says things that he regrets. He does things he regrets. He does things that gets himself in trouble. But listen, by that analogy, Paul is saying, look at what happens when we are filled with the Spirit of God. When we're drunken with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit of God, if I can say that. We're controlled by the Spirit of God. He's got all of us. We are filled with the mind of the Spirit. We are filled with the thoughts of the Spirit. We desire it. Listen tonight, if, you're, if you don't crave the power of the Holy Spirit, you're a carnal man that needs God's power tonight. Do you thirst for God? Because this matter of the Holy Spirit, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered to the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. There's still more. There's more of the Holy Spirit. I don't care how long you pray. I don't care what you pray. Does He have all of you? You can talk all you want. Does he have all of you? Does he have all of you? There's a person, the Holy Spirit. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. God has given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you can be a partaker of the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the, that is in the world through lust. Don't limit yourself. Don't stunt your growth. But just say, I just want the discernment. I get really bothered. I want to know more. You can't approach God's Word. And you can't approach the things of God as we do in an educational level here. Because I'm going to tell you, the people who know most about God and who can spiritually discern the things of God are those who have the power of God. And I'm going to encourage you as we close tonight to get the infusion of the Spirit of God. To be dripping with that holy oil. To have that holy anointing of God. But the anointing that you receive to Him abideth in you so that you need not that any man teach you. But it's the same anointing as truth and is no lie. So have you received that same anointing. I urge you tonight, I encourage you tonight, God is revealed. God has a purpose in his revelation. God has a prudence in his revelation. And God has a person in his revelation. Throw away your commentaries for tonight and all your other helps. And ask the Spirit of God to speak to your mind and heart. Be filled with the Spirit. Let his indwelling magnify itself in a great way in your life. Would you do that tonight? And then tonight, if you're not saved, you need to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. You need the Holy Spirit of God to save your soul. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God.